Open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, chapter 2. We are going to return, after a couple of week break, we're going to return to our study of the book of Hebrews, the series I've entitled, Walk as Children of Light. Again, if you are unaware of this, uh, most of you probably are aware of this, there's a handout on the back side of the bulletin. If you'd like to follow along, if you don't want to, that's fine too. I mean, well, follow with a sermon. Don't, if you don't want to follow along in the back, that's fine. We are uh, just reading the last couple of verses from the section of text that I have been encouraging you, at the very least, if you don't want to tackle a bigger section, like the entire book of Ephesians, uh, that to encourage you to memorize a shorter section. We have a couple of uh, sessions left in uh, chapter 2 yet, at which point uh, my intention is to uh, bring you another passage of similar length from chapters uh, 3 and 4 there, somewhere in that text. Uh, that we're going to work on memorizing. So I'm hoping that you, though we took a two-week break, I'm hoping that you are still continuing to pay attention to these verses and trying to memorize them. Is there anyone who's um, bold enough this morning to say, raise your hand? I don't, I'm not going to ask you to say it, so you can safely, but uh, is there anyone here that has memorized it? Are there people here that have memorized this text? I see only a couple of hands. Maybe one other hand. I don't need to make any comments about that. I don't need to make you feel guilty. I can just encourage you to do better. These verses this morning, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, are probably some of the most well-known verses in the entirety of the New Testament. We always have verses that we know, and here's one of them that we know. I've entitled my sermon this morning, Amazing Grace. Uh, because it's a name of a song, it's the name of uh, a little catchy way to say the, or summarize these verses, and because it's the subject of these verses we're going to read. There's really just three verses, 8, 9, and 10, Ephesians chapter 2, 8, 9, and 10, for by grace you have been saved, ha, by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, sometimes when I put my keynote together, my presentation together, I have a certain number of slides and I think, oh, this won't be too long. And then it ends up, Caleb can tell you every time I say it, it's not going to be very long, it ends up being long. And sometimes I have a lot of slides in my presentation and I go, oh, and I'm just going to tell you this morning, I got done with my message this week, and I thought, that's a lot of slides. So we're not going to waste any time. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, the first phrase is my first. I have two main points I want to make. First one comes from that first phrase. For by grace you have been saved through faith. A statement standing all alone by itself. We could assess it all by itself. And yet, really, the weight of it is carried in all the things that have already been shared about what Paul is trying to get us to know, Right? It, it does mean a lot to us to say, by grace, you've been saved through faith, but there's a whole lot of background there. And I want to remind us, because partly because it's been uh, a couple of weeks since we've been in the text here, I want to remind us of those together with words that we uh, came to two weeks ago, well, three weeks ago. Suja opoeho and sunagairo and sunkatidzo. These together with words are the things that are going to come into focus, as Paul says, by grace, we've been saved through faith. So maybe you should just hear the whole thing. For you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. That was us, right? You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You were following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. 
That's the spirit that's at work among the sons of disobedience, among whom all of us used to walk in the passions of our flesh. All of us used to walk in the passions of our flesh. Do you agree with that or not? Are you with me? This is where we are at. All of us used to walk among the pas- in the passion of our flesh among the sons of disobedience. We were carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath just like the rest of mankind. That is where we were. That's two weeks ago, three weeks ago when we last in the text. That is where we were. But God, I love those words, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us while we were still dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him. He raised us up with him and he seated us with him. So he seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable, you cannot measure it, friends, the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For you are, we are, God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus, which God, is, that we sh- which God has prepared before him that we should walk in them. That's the entirety of the text. We were made alive together with Jesus. We were raised together with Jesus. We were seated in company with Jesus. When we begin to realize where we were and what God has done for us through Jesus Christ, then we can begin singing the song of amazing grace, finally. We can begin recognizing just how true it is that we were saved by grace. For by grace we have been saved. And it doesn't take a whole lot of like knowing the Greek words or digging into the text. It's pretty well laid out, right? Read the words. This is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God. It's not a result of works so that no one may boast. Look at each of those phrases. Be willing to spend time with each of those phrases so that you might know the truth of it. Are you and I convinced our salvation is not of our own doing? We had nothing to do with it. We brought nothing to the table. You brought nothing to the table. You had nothing to offer. It was not because of how great or smart or good-looking or how chosen or how loved or how whatever you were. God gave us a gift. It's not a result of works. There's nothing you did. There's nothing you could do. I suppose you could be perfect. Who wants to sign up on that list? I will gain my salvation through perfection. Anybody want to sign up for that? I don't, because I'm not. It's all too evident if you live in my house that I'm not. And it's like that so that we don't get any of the glory. That's what that word boast means. That we don't get any of the glory. It's not because of us. All the wonderful things we sing and all the truths we declare and all the incredible things we talk about that God has done, they're all true But woe to us when we take them and begin to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to. 
for it is a gift of God. We are not to boast. By the way, the church has a problem with boasting and stealing glory. God won't share his glory. It can't be broken. It won't, can't be hedged into. It can't be split apart. It can't be diminished. God won't share his glory with us, even his church. Us. We are glorious only as we are in Christ. That the church has problems with this is evident, not just today, but historically evident. When you read the book of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, Paul wrote two letters, and 26 times in those two letters, he uses this word boast, as he helps them see that they are glorying in all the wrong things and not glorying in Christ, and not glorying in what God has done. He says the same word in Romans chapter 5, verse 2, when he says, through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice, that's what this word is, boast, we rejoice, we glory in the hope of the glory of God. We boast, we rejoice, we proclaim, we get excited about the hope of the glory of God that we now stand in, which we have access by faith into this grace. Same thing we're going to wrestle with all day long this morning, all morning long this morning. Galatians 6.14, Paul says, but far be it from me to boast except for, if I'm going to boast, I'm going to boast in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. If you want to boast, let it be about that. This, can I tell you, church in America, this is an epidemic for us. We boast in all the wrong things. We boast in big buildings that are well-filled. We boast in ministries that we have pulled off. We may even boast in conversions that we have done, if they're actually conversions. Evidence in the church says we're not converting hardly anybody at all, actually, not to true Christianity. We may be getting them to say some things. We may be able to even get them to admit that, oh, they profess to have Christ. I think we'll see as the message unfolds today how severely we are lacking in creating true disciples of Jesus Christ and making true disciples of Jesus Christ. We may boast in all the good things we do. We may boast in how much money we give away. We may boast in how pure we live. We may boast in the things that we're not like those other people. We may boast about how conservative we are or how we have things figured out or how we understand the Bible more than anyone else does. Rarely do I hear people boasting in the cross of Jesus Christ that the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Rarely do I or do I hear anyone boast of those things. What a shame because of how glorious it is that what Jesus has done for us that we presume to take any iota of the glory from him. Can I say it again? This salvation we have, this grace that we have been given, it is not of our own doing. It is not a result of our works. It is not so that any of us may boast. It is and always will be a gift of God. Do you understand? Do, I, do we understand that even coming to the realization of the grace in which we stand is a gift of God? Remember that scene where Jesus asked his disciples who people say they are, he is, and they gave him all kinds of answers, what people say, and he said, who do you say? And Peter came up with this incredible, right, accurate statement. 
Jesus, we believe you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Right? Wonderful insight by Peter. Only Jesus turned right around and said, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. In other words, you even realizing the truth of who I am is a gift of God. So not only am I going to tell you this morning that your salvation had nothing to do with you, it was nothing you did, nothing that brought it about, it's so that you don't get any glory in it, it's not, it's not, has nothing good to reflect on you, I'm also going to push you far enough to say that you being here this morning and even realizing what Jesus did for you is an incredible gift of God. James reflects the same thing. I'm going to turn there so I can read just a couple more verses than what I'm going to put on the screen. This first part may sound very familiar, right? Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift comes from, is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. We know this verse. We say it all the time, and, and we should say it. It's true. Every, I mean, it really means what it says, right? Every good gift and every perfect gift. But you know what it says right after that? You know what James is primarily, first of all, talking about? In verse 18, he goes on to say, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. The first and foremost good and perfect gift that God has given to us is salvation. There are plenty of others, make no mistake. And you should, by the way, we should be in the habit of recounting them often, that we can make sure that we are convinced that every good and every perfect gift comes from God. But let's not be mistaken. It is of his own will, of God's own decision, that we have been recreated, have been born again to be first fruits of his creatures. That is the good and perfect gift that is brought down. So let's take a step back. We have been saved by grace. I hopefully that point has been made from the text this morning. By grace we have been saved. But there's a little phrase at the end yet that I need to pay a bit of attention to. Through faith. By grace we have been saved through faith. I want us to understand this morning. I want us to understand that it is completely and utterly necessary that we are saved through faith if everything I've said so far is true. If we had nothing to do, it would, we brought nothing to the table, if we had nothing to do with our salvation, if we did not earn it in any way, we could not bring it about in any way, if God has done that of his own decision on our behalf, the only option we have is to receive it by trusting in him, by believing in what he's done. That's the only option we have. You cannot have salvation any other way than through faith if you believe the first part of what I said this morning. You understand that that's true? Do you see the connection I'm making? It, 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 you, it can't be any other way. If, if there's any other option than being saved only through faith in Jesus, like by, by believing, by trusting that what God has said is true, if there's any other option, then we're somehow pulling it back and saying, I have something to do with it. And we have, when we don't. So by necessity... It's true. And by the way, it is the entire theme of the New Testament, is it not? That what Jesus has done, we have to receive by faith. I, you might make the case, it is the theme of the Bible. Merlin, you used the word this morning. You used the word trust, but it's the same thing. By faith, by trust. We receive it by trusting, by faith, by believing. I could have walked out probably 
hundreds of verses that bring this point out. I'm not going to do that for you this morning. I want to demonstrate a few times that Jesus made it very, very, very clear. And I picked some specific ones because they talk about the other side of the coin, which is the first part of chapter 2 that we already addressed a couple of weeks ago. In John 3.36, Jesus said, whoever believes in the Son, there's that word, believes, trust, has faith in the Son, has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Remember, we were all creatures of wrath like the rest of mankind. We all walked among our own passions at one point, satisfying or bringing about or carrying out the desires of our body and our mind. So that wrath remains on us unless we believe in the Son. A few chapters later, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. It rests on what, friends? Belief. It rests on our belief in Jesus, our trust in Jesus. Now, this time, again, I'm going to turn there so I can read a couple more verses and what I'm going to put up on on the screen there. Just another chapter later there in John chapter 6. Let me read these words. I'm going to break right in the middle of the discussion, so I apologize for that. But Jesus says to to his disciples, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. On the Son of Man, God the Father has set his seal. In verse 28, it says, then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? See, here's the question. If he says we should work for eternal food, not for, the, not, for, uh, uh, the work, not for the food that perishes, they said, well, what is that food? What work should we be doing? How do, what does that look like? And Jesus answered this. This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. I don't know where you're at so far this morning. I don't know whether you think I'm beating a dead horse and you know all this stuff, whether you are agreeing with me or whether you're disagreeing with me or whether you're checked out or whether you're thinking about what you're going to do tomorrow or later this afternoon. I don't know. But if I, if I thought that I could convince us all of the great truth that we were talking about this morning and get it down in here, not just up in here, but down in here by saying it a thousand times to you, I would do that. I would literally stand here and tell you a thousand times. So desperate is it that I want you to know this truth that we stray so easily away from because we are so self-sufficient and we have everything that we need and we're arrogant and full of pride and we think we have it all together. Our salvation comes by grace through faith. We are saved by grace through faith. Paul writes these words. I just want to read them to you. They're going to say the exact same thing, but in slightly different words. Romans chapter 3, verses 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There it was right there. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by... uh, I lost my place there. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. 
This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was, to, it was to show righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Kind of got a little muddle up there. There's my bad reading there. But I think you caught the gist of it. We are saved and justified before God as a gift from him by grace, through his grace, that we receive through faith by believing in Jesus Christ. Got all that? Now, we must turn the corner and look at verse 10. For it would be among the greatest disasters known to us if we were to divorce verse 10 from verses 8 and 9, which does happen quite a bit. For by grace you have been saved. It is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. I missed through faith. Sorry about that. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And he turns right around in the very next verse and says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. For what? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should work in them. Now, again, I'm just going to walk right through this phrase. Because while at first glance it might be pretty obvious, there are layers here that I think we need to work through. Because I think one of the biggest mistakes we make is when we tout on and on, which I have done so far this morning, tout on and on, by grace we're saved through faith. By grace we're saved. It's all through faith. It's only if you, you only have to believe. Then it leaves us with a whole lot of people who think they are Christian because they believed in Jesus, but nothing in their life changes. There's no evidence of it. There's no good works that come out of it. But, 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 we're not saved by our works. And I say, you're right. But nowhere in this text or in any text you will read in Scripture does it say that just because we are not saved by good works does not mean we should not do good works. I would tell you, according to this very text this morning, that is exactly why you were created and why you were saved, redeemed by Jesus Christ is so that you could do good works to bring glory to God. You see, we fall in this trap, don't we? We're either over here where we think we have to do all these good works and it begins to slip in our mind that when I do all these good works, that's what makes me right with God and so I have to just do more and more and more and if I don't do enough, then I'm not gonna make it and I get worried and I don't know for sure. And we are bound up in a works-based salvation. Or we are on this side, we've recognized the error of that and said, no, 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 you guys got it all wrong. The Bible's so clear. We are saved by grace. We brought nothing to the table. You've been saying it all morning long, Merlin. So all you have to do is believe and trust in Jesus Christ, and you can do whatever you want because your salvation is not based on what you do or don't do. And we are bound by a mistaken idea of what the grace of God is all about. We are His workmanship. Look at that line. We are His workmanship. God is the his. We are his workmanship. Poema is the Greek word there. It means a product. We are produced by God. This is in reference to creation. We were made by God. I would submit to you reason number one that your life should look different after you have received the grace of Jesus Christ through faith is that you were created. You come to the understanding that you were created by God. I would, in fact, tell you before you even understand that, that is why God created you. I've said these words before to you. 
I believe, and I'll say them again if you, had, if you weren't here, didn't hear them, or I didn't say them. God owns you because he created you. You belong to him because he created you. If you don't like that, I'm sorry. That's what scripture says. In fact, Psalm 100 verse 3 makes it even more clear than I just did. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. You and I belong to God because he created us. He made us. He, we are his poema. We are his workmanship. Now, that verse can at the same time be incredibly comforting and it can be incredibly infuriating. Or you may not like it. You may struggle against it. You may think it infringes upon your sovereign right. And I tell you, if that is what you understand, you and I, we don't have a sovereign right. It is God who is sovereign. We are his. We belong to him because he made us. Kick and scream all you want. Reject it all you want. Ignore it all you want. Rebel against it all you want. Try to slip out of it all you want. It does not change the truth of the fact of the matter. And I can tell you, I can plead with you, I can beg with you. Someday you will stand before him and you will know to the bottom of your toes that it's true. So please, let it be a comfort to you today. Do not resist it. Do not reject it. Do not rebel against it. Do not slide away from it. But say, fully, squarely, I look at you, Father, and I belong to you because you created me. I'm yours. I'm not mine. Now, we may at first glance think the second line is saying the same as the first line, that we are created by God, we are his workmanship, we are created in Christ Jesus. And there are references, of course, that Jesus, through Jesus and the word, everything was created that was created. I will tell you, I don't think that's what Paul is intending, actually. I think he's actually giving us the second reason why our life should look radically different when we are saved by grace through faith. Because in this case, the word created there is the word titzo, titzo, which means to fabricate, which you might say, again, it's kind of the same thing. But the, the truth of this word comes from the word it's based on. The root word of titzo is taomai, which means to get or to acquire, which of course indicates ownership or possession. But to get or to acquire, what Paul is actually referring to is the new man that Jesus Christ is creating out of the old man. It is redemption he's referring to, not creation. The first line, we are his workmanship, is referring to creation. God owns you because he created you. The second line, created in Christ Jesus, is saying that Jesus paid for you. He bought you. He redeemed you. He fabricated you. He brought a new man out. It's exactly what we're going to read later on in Ephesians. And we are to put on the new self, created, there's the same word, tizzo, after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. It is for that reason that our life should look different. We are owned by God because he created us. We are additionally owned by God because he paid for us. After we strayed away, after we said we're going to do our own thing, after we walked in the course of the world and followed the prince of the power of the air and we're like the rest of mankind, sons of disobedience, subject to the wrath of God and fulfilling our own flesh, after we did all of that, he bought us back with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. He raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places so that he might display the immense riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Are we getting this? He bought us and paid for us and he owns us because of what he has done for us. I want to paint a different scene because this same word is used in the book of Revelation. Did you know this? 
I suggest probably most times that I have read this, I have not read it in this context. In Revelation, we see this wonderful scene where they're gathered around the throne and worshiping Jesus, and they're crying out to him and saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. And most times when I read that, I think only of creation in the beginning. But the word for you created all things is the word katizo, which means, it actually means you redeemed all things. And by your will, here's the proof of it, because what does he say? Why those two words? By your will they existed, that's first creation, and were created. That's redemption. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. You were made by God and you were redeemed by God in Christ Jesus. And you were done so for this purpose that is right here. For good works. Listen. I'm telling you, we're not saved by our good works, but we are saved for good works. The things we do, the expression of thanks that should come out in good works, that is not the fruit, I'm sorry, that is the fruit of our salvation, not the root of our salvation. Those are two phrases that I did not make up, but I like them. Our good works are the fruit of our salvation, not the root of our salvation. But that this theme runs through Scripture is just as undeniable as the theme of faith does. The theme of trusting and believing does. It's just as undeniable. Let me illustrate. Matthew 5, 16. Jesus said, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your, you say it, your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus nowhere indicated that, well, just believe in me and then it'll be good and you don't have to do anything. Let your good works be evident so that people give glory to the Father who is in heaven. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. We love this verse. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. <laughs> do you know, do we understand how many times we've abused this verse? And we make it as some kind of God wants to make us wealthy and rich and have everything we could ever dream of kind of thing. Because God makes all things abound to us and gives us all sufficiency at all times so we abound in everything. No, 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 no. So that we abound in good works. That is why God owns the cattle on a thousand hills so we can do his work. Colossians 1.10, Paul prays to them. And so as you might walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every... And increasing in the knowledge of God. I could go on. I will go on. 2 Timothy 2, 21. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself, he's talking about that there's pots, there's vessels for honorable use and dishonorable use. But he says, if you were dishonorable, cleanse yourself. And if you do that, if you cleanse yourself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. You know, we know 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 because it illustrates to us the power of the word. All scripture is breathed out by God. You know how that goes, right? Can someone quote it for me? All scripture, help me with, all scripture is breathed out by God and it's profitable for teaching, for rebuke, for correction, and for training in righteousness. But do you know what the next verse says? So that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every... <laughs> it is so clear from scripture we are to believe in Jesus and it is equally clear that that belief means something in us. That it comes out with some kind of good work. 
We cannot and will not ever arrive at the throne and claim, well, I believed in you, Jesus, and have a trail of doing whatever we wanted to with our lives. It won't happen. If that's the case, then we did not understand salvation. We did not understand the grace of God that was received through faith. We did not understand the length to which Jesus went to purchase you. We did not understand that we don't even own ourselves. We don't get the right to make the decision what we do. Titus 3.8 says, the saying is trustworthy. And if you read the verses before that, the saying is exactly what we're talking about today, is that we were dead, that we were under the wrath of God, but God did through Jesus Christ. He saved us. He gave, gave in grace. He rescued us from that that we received by faith. That saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to... You know it. You've said it over and over again, but will we do it? Will we honor God's word or won't we? We, <laughs> it is so clear, we are God's workmanship created by him. But we were redeemed in Christ Jesus and we were redeemed and created so that we might do good works. God prepared them. He had them all laid out. That's what he wanted from the very beginning. And we should walk in them. If you put this whole text together, if you put this whole text together, verse two indicates that we used to walk in the passion of our flesh. We used to walk according to how we wanted to. We used to walk like the rest of the world did. We used to walk as the sons of disobedience. That's how we used to walk. But now, when we've received the grace of, of God through faith and what he's done in Christ Jesus, we now walk in good works. That's exactly how he ends it. We now walk in them. This is why I phrased the series, Walk as Children of Light, because there's an action that must come out of it. God, would you rescue us? Oh, hold on. Let me go back a slide. Let me go back. Can you go back a slide, Trent? I forgot that I had this here. I'm going to pray real quick. God, would you help us to understand the truth of what we heard this morning? May it sink and seep down deep into the core of who we are. May you, by your spirit of wisdom, help us to discern and to separate and to divide, just as your word does, to divide deep inside of us, that we may distinguish whether we are trying to make an effort to save ourselves or whether we are resting and receiving by faith what you've done for us through Jesus. But then equally help us discern, Father, that when we have received what you've done for us in Jesus Christ, that it makes a difference in us, that we don't waste our time with things that are dishonoring to you, that we don't, we don't dabble in things that have nothing to do with you, that we spend our time focusing on what we can do for you because you own us through Jesus Christ. God, help us. Oh, help me. I'm up here, and I'm, I'm passionate, and I'm, I'm, I'm urging us and yet the truth must be equally applied to me, God, and I'm just so aware of it this morning. Thank you, Father. Correct us on any hand, Father, whether we have received your grace with, grace with no evidence in our life or whether we have been stuck in trying to please you. Help us to see the truth of who we were and what you've done with us in Christ Jesus. We give you praise and glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I want to say something still.
And I want to close with something that's not how I normally close. But just as the Lord would put this together, I couldn't believe just how God does some of these things. And I was sitting there finishing up my message, and I thought, you know, there really are, I, I believe there are two there are two really huge responses that I think should come out of us when we hear a message like this this morning. And the first is just, just the incredible joy at the amazing grace of God. Of who you were and who you are now in Christ Jesus. What, what an offer God has made to you. And just, just full unabashed rejoicing. <laughs> Please, full unabashed rejoicing that you are here and you are aware of the truth of the gospel. And for the most part, sitting here this morning, I believe have received the truth of the gospel. I believe it should just bring such incredible joy to us. It just, I, I, there's, nothing, I don't, there's nothing that could possibly bring any more joy to us. On the other hand, I think at the same time, for me, maybe it doesn't do this for you, but for me, there's immediately, immediately the reality that there are so many people that have not ever had a chance to hear how amazing God's grace is. And to highlight that, to highlight the lostness that we were in and the lostness that billions of people remain in, I have a video, and it's, it comes to us from Asia Harvest, so that's why I brought it today, because it comes to us from the people we're going to raise money for tonight, but I just want to invite us to watch it this morning, and we'll come back up and make a few comments after it's done. Here you sit on a Sunday morning and you're aware of the grace of God and what an affront to us when we are so passive about it or don't receive it or do whatever. But who will go tell those people? It's not the point of the message this morning, but it seems like it's always the point in my heart. Where are those of us who see things like that and are stirred and say, I must go. I must go because there's people that don't know. There's people who will never know and I'm not going to save all of them, but there's somewhere somebody that God has appointed me to work, talk to. That is a lot of the work that Asia Harvest does. They don't send people. They send Bibles and literature and all kinds of things into those at least reached places. So tonight you'll hear a bit more about them. But um, I just don't understand how we can read Scripture and not see God's heart for people. And sit here and wait for the end to come. Would you stand this morning? I'm going to bless you. Please understand, I don't mean that as a rebuke to any of us. morning, God, we confess that you are the Lord, you are God, and we are your people. 
with trembling. With trembling, we say, you may do with us what you want. Fill us with your spirit as we respond to your grace. Use us for your glory. Thank you. Thank you for this amazing grace that we stand in. Help us to walk in that grace in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you go in peace this morning?